Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, January 22nd, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about WandaVision Season 1, Episode 3. It's called Now in Color. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jake Paul. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? So we might change out the cast of this uh, spoiler podcast next week. We might have a, a special guest, but uh, we got the whole gang back again for episode three. Um, before we go into our, our brief reactions, uh, you guys weren't here. I mean, Brad's obviously been here for all the Mandalorian podcasts, but what we usually do is we do a section called feedback, which is a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, listeners have sent us or we've found out since the 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 publishing of last week's episode uh just like little you know updates and bits and pieces uh first of all a uh, friend of the show john armstrong wrote in to point out uh you know last week there was a commercial that had a toaster oven and uh, John pointed out that in the comic books, uh, I think it's in the Vision comic books, there's a point where Wanda gets mad at Vision and actually calls him a damn toaster. So I will put a link to that panel in the show notes if you want to see it. So that might also be a reference there. Probably not. But um, Brad, you, you noticed something about the toaster after the fact. Oh, this yeah, but this is just kind of just a silly thing. I don't really think it's it's going anywhere, but like... Uh, as as I rewatched the commercial since Marvel posted on their YouTube channel, I noticed that it, it looks a bit like a face and the shape of it and certain details on it kind of made it look like certain iterations of MODOK, uh, a, um, a somewhat obscure villain from Marvel Comics. Yeah. You don't think there's anything there? You think it's just a coincidence? I, I think probably. I mean, it's... Uh, a lot of toasters looked like that back in the day. There, there, there were. <laughs> I, I did think that there were a couple like intriguing similarities as far as just like certain aesthetic touches, but I can't imagine that they're going to be bringing Modok into the the equation. He's he's a little too weird even for the things that are happening in the show. Yeah. Well, 
I mean, he is he is uh, yellow like the aim agents. So see, Jacob, I got it right this time. I didn't say AIM. I said AIM. I'm so proud of you, Peter. And I felt so <laughs> crappy for calling you on that last week in the show. I felt like two hours after the show going, was I too mean to Peter? Did people realize I was making a joke that we have a friendly relationship? No, I no, agonized it, over it. Jacob is totally fine. Um, on Twitter, speaking of Twitter, uh, Brian B. wrote into us uh, on Twitter to confirm that the the hexagons are something worth noting. And he put an image together showing all the hexagon imagery within the first two episodes and we'll actually see some hexagons and in, in this this episode as well so uh that's something to keep in mind uh or keep keep an eye on and brian theorizes that they could be a clue to aim because they they use hexagons as their motif so uh especially in the marvel's avengers video game that no one's played uh jacob what do you think of that theory this is the first time where i became kind of utterly convinced <laughs> that he was involved somehow because I, I saw some similar rumbling since the last episode about, I did not put two and two together. I've seen the aim hexagon, you know, things using comics all the time. I, but I never clicked for me that to, to make that connection until people started pointing it out. It was a real, Oh, Holy crap moment. <laughs> so I'm, I went from being, yeah, maybe MCU. They are in the MCU. They were to do Iron Man three, maybe to being like, Oh yeah, definitely. There's between the beekeeper costume and now this, it, it makes too much sense. Okay. Here's the reoccurring Peter's wrong section of the show. Uh, last week I repeated the observation that I had seen online that the Hydra logo was, uh, seen inside Vision's hat, uh, some some people, some listeners had gone ba- back and uh, you know screen grabbed this. There is something in Vision's hat, but it looks like it's actually just like a tag inside the hat, and I, I don't see a Hydra logo at all. Um, I'll put a link to the image uh, in the show notes if anybody wants to go see it. Uh, strangely, though, if you search on Twitter, Hydra hat, you'll find dozens of tweets from people who claim to have seen it. So is this like a um, what do you call that? Where like the, the Mandela two effect? Yeah, is this the Mandela effect, Brad? I, I think yeah. it's just people just just like seeing what they want to see because they're like, ooh, clues. <laughs> the 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 other Peter is wrong uh bit that I got to point out this time is that I mentioned that Mrs. Hart, uh, Deborah Joe Rupp's character from the first episode was her only appearance on the show. I was going off the information from IMDb uh, because they, a lot of the uh, actors that listed, you know, how many episodes they were in and stuff like that. And it only listed her as in the first episode. And uh, Bob from Colorado wrote in to point out that I was wrong, that you could actually see her in the audience of the magic show. And uh, now her IMDb has been updated and she is, you know, she appears in the episode. So, so I was wrong. Don't trust IMDb ever, 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 ever. Okay. Um, what else did we want to point out? Um, oh, uh, last week's episode ended with Wanda magically creating wedding bands for this uh, strange titular couple that we have at the 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 focus of the show. Um, unlike Baby Yoda in the first season of Mandalorian, Disney was prepared and they actually released the wedding ring prop replicas. You can buy a three piece wedding ring set uh, from sale one studio and it's being sold from entertainment earth and uh if you want to know scarlet witch is a seven vision uh size is a 10 and you can buy this replica set for 60 bucks and it will uh ship out in april of 2021 
my question to you guys is, do you think anybody's actually going to buy this wedding ring prop replica set and actually use it as their wedding rings? Oh, I was about I, to I'm say, sure. Peter, I've, I don't have a wedding ring. I've been married for half a decade. Don't have a wedding ring. Um, <laughs> oh, when you said this, my first thought was how much? Sixty dollars, pretty. It's pretty affordable, you know. I mean, for three rings, Jacob. I don't. That that seems that seems like a deal. Yeah, uh, I I used to have a cheap tungsten ring just for the purposes of the wedding ceremony, but that's long gone, and I've been waiting for the right one. So maybe it's a Wandavision ring. <laughs> yeah, if, if you if you use it, I I think that you need to paint yourself as Vision when you do the pro- proposal, which I assume you'll do all over again. Uh, <laughs> Yes, uh, and your wife has to has to wear a red dress for that, oh, too. My mom will hate this. I'll say as much. When I first told my mom um, that there was a WandaVision show coming, her first reaction, she's a big Marvel fan, was, ugh. Um, so oh, if I dress up as, if I do anything marital-related, marital my, my, my mom realized that there's something about Wanda and Vision involved, I may have my, my family life ruined. What does your mom have against Wanda and Vision? Yeah. I think she thinks they're incredibly boring. But to be fair, based purely on their film appearances, they are. <laughs> yeah. By the way, you were right, Jacob. Like um, last week when we were recording uh, the episode, uh, the the episode had just aired and they had only been on Disney Plus for what, like 10 hours or something like that. And all I was seeing was glowing reviews of the series from like, you know, film critics and, you know, the Marvel geeks that stay up till midnight to watch the show. But in this last week, I have seen a lot of um. I want to I want to assume that it's uh 20 somethings watching the show that didn't quite don't get it. Um I remember you bringing this up last week that there was kind of like this sentiment online. I I had not seen it. Um people that probably didn't grow up with like, you know, these old school sick, you know, watching like Nick at Night or anything like that. Um so it's interesting to see if they end up getting into it as this show kind of hits like the second act. I hope so. I mean, it's a case where <laughs> It, it, it's, the show is so clearly a slow burn and so designed to, to be a mystery that the knee-jerk reaction from a lot of people that this is immediately not the what why is this not like marvel that i know was really <laughs> disappointing so I'm, I'm really hoping that people yeah. stick around and because i think it's doing something interesting i think it's more than that though i think it's something like like someone who has never seen an old school sitcom watching an old school sitcom and being like what like <laughs> it's this weird reaction um Anyways, last week we mentioned uh, August 23rd. This is the date on the calendar in the first episode that had that mysterious heart mark on it. Uh, I had pointed out that the the watch in, uh, what, episode two, uh, the Strucker watch was pointed at the eight and uh, the other hand was in between the two and the three. And we couldn't find any connections with the number in Marvel history. Um, but Screen Rant pu- published an article with a theory, and I wanted to propose it to you guys just to see what you guys think. Um, they say, I'm going to quote them. Uh, they say, uh, t- taking the date in the European format, which Wanda would surely do, of course, August 23rd becomes 23 slash 8, and Avengers 238 ties not only into Vision, but a wider narrative arc that has suspiciously similar beats as one division. So they point out that, uh, Avengers two, three, eight, which bringing that up, uh, Jacob, you, you don't have that off memory. What that is, right? 
Uh, no, of course here? not. I, I don't remember <laughs> issue t- <laughs> issue numbers. I, I I know a lot of things, but I'm glad people out there can pull that information out of their head. I'm glad they exist. I love you, but that's not me. Yeah, well, it has Monica Rambo's uh, Captain Marvel prominently on the cover and pits Vision, Marvel, and other heroes against villain Moonstone. And crucially, the the issue deals with the revival of Vision after he's been injured in an earlier issue. The bad guy created a null field, a sort of force field intended to destroy Earth by creating a reaction that will merge Earth with negative zone. Vision literally attempts to break through the energy field created by the magical character that threatens Earth's existence, which is seemingly exactly what S.W.O.R.D. are attempting to do in WandaVision to break through to Scarlet Witch. So my question to you guys is, is this just like a coincidence or do you think there's something there? (laughs) Huh. Uh, I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if Marvel, uh, you know, they have to put numbers in at some, you know, I think... um, it makes sense for them to just like any time that there's a number for them to be like, all right, well, let's do something fun with this. And uh, sometimes it can have like a huge meaning to the plot and like uh, help us in terms of like predicting what's going to happen. And then sometimes it's just like a fun nod to comics history. And I feel like that kind of, yeah, sure. Why not? Like yeah. that sounds like a fun nod to me. The thing I love about shows like this is like, there's so many things that are like um, intentionally in there and then there's other things that I, I love that the fans kind of bring to it and you know we're going to discuss in today's episode uh, when the first two episodes were released they didn't have episode titles on Disney Plus um, but they now do have episode titles the first episode is titled filmed before a live studio audience which it actually was and the second episode is titled don't touch that dial which uh, it's funny when someone tweeted about this I saw someone who was like 20 years old, respond to that being what say, uh, what is a dial? So, um, wow. Uh, yeah. The third episode is titled now in color. So is it safe to say that all these, like, um, these titles are probably going to be like marketing phrase phrases used in those TV eras. I'm guessing, right? Yeah, I think you're correct. I I think that we're going to see, uh, each of these, work their way up to, I, I do not know what the phrase will be for like the modern sitcom. I'm very curious, but these old ones, you know, there, there's such a piece of like a kitschy Americana that I grew up with. It makes me a little sad that people younger than me may not understand uh, that, that phrase, <laughs> but I shouldn't feel old in my age, Peter. Why are they making me feel old? I'm, I'm, I'm not old. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. The, the first time I felt old is when I was in Uber and someone asked me my favorite, the Uber driver asked me my favorite movie and i said back to the future and they said oh a classic or an old an old an old, old classic <laughs> like, oh boy no <laughs> okay um uh, i wanted to mention disney does this thing on twitter where they pay to have these emojis like when you use certain hashtags and i think they pay like a million dollars a hashtag or something insane like uh, what there's an, yeah, there's an article, or I don't know. I'll have to look up the article. I'll, I'll get up during this podcast, but I think they pay like a million dollars a hashtag to have these emojis. Uh, like when you use the hashtag, like these emojis show up next to the hashtag. Um, they did this for the last uh, two episodes where you, you saw Wanda. If you used hashtag Wanda, it showed Wanda. If you used hashtag Vision, it showed Vision. If you used hashtag WandaVision, it showed Wanda and Vision. These were all in black and white. And for this week they have updated those emojis to color versions of them and also you can use hashtag agnes the nosy neighbor and she shows up 
which seems kind of weird to put her in this episode. Why wouldn't you do like hashtag, um, Gren- uh, what's her name? Um, Geraldine. Geraldine. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways. Um, okay. Uh, Rob C writes in that no one commented on the racial diversity of the town. Not something you would normally see in the fifties or sixties on TV. Uh, the people in the town strike me as actors you might see playing a bunch of research scientists investigating a phenom- phenomenon like this. I think he's kind of like, do you think it's just a better racial casting than they had in the era? Or do you think there's something to that that they could actually be like, um, I guess, sword research people stuck in this bubble? Well, we'll, Go ahead. we'll dig more into this as we talk about the end of this episode, but I feel like uh a they they weren't necessarily trying to be true to the era in that regard because it just wasn't necessary to get the vibe across but also b uh this is a modern neighborhood that wanda is has turned into her own sitcom world so it would be basically be a diverse neighborhood being turned into a classic sitcom neighborhood so that's i I imagine that explains the diversity as well yeah I would guess so, too. We'll get into that later. Okay, let's move on to brief reactions for episode three of WandaVision. Uh, Ben, give us your reaction. Not a fan, guys. Not a fan of this one. Um, But uh, it's not necessarily about, uh, you know, anything having to do with, like, a specific thing in this episode. It's just that I, across the board, have a really hard time engaging uh, with pregnancy, or not pregnancy, but um, delivery plot lines uh, in terms of, like, babies (laughs) being delivered. It just, it always feels the same to me. I don't know. There's something I have. It's like a hang up I have as a viewer where anytime, you know, somebody is in the late stage of their pregnancy, I'm always in a movie or TV show. I'm always like, oh, great. All right. Well, here, I know exactly what the beats are going to be for the next, you know, 20 minutes or whatever. And it it just feels, um, it feels like the air gets sucked out of the room a little bit for me. Uh, and maybe it's because I don't have kids. I don't know. I have no idea what the origin of this hangup is with me, but it's just something that I cannot get past. So I was not a huge fan of this episode because most of the episode is about what happens during the late stages of this uh, rapid pregnancy. Uh, ben, I, this, I have a question for you for you then. Yes. Is the fact that the episode is such a deliberate and perfect imitation of like a... like of a tried and true dull to the point of intentionally being dull a uh, plot line. Like it feels very intentionally recreating these, these very familiar tropes uh, only for the end to get incredibly sinister and to pull the rug out from what could happen next. Is this a case of it not working for you at all or a case where the recreation is so perfect that it rubbed you the wrong way? Uh, I think in almost any context, this kind of story just does not work for me because I just, I feel like it's not um, dramatically engaging. And I don't know this again, I I feel like I'm going to be in the extreme minority there, but you asked. So that's what I thought about the episode. I'm just so taken aback that you have such a hard stance on something (laughs) that is just like so insignificant. I mean, like... I, I I feel like I mean I don't I don't know like why why it's such a big deal I mean like it's you have to make something like pregnancy I don't know dramatic somehow if it's if it's you know the same as it is you know in the real world obviously it's not always that dramatic and so it's not as interesting and granted it's not all that interesting because it's the same you know kind of pregnancy we've seen before but like Jacob said I think it's the, the like the idea is that they're recreating it like 
to a T, but in this very truncated window, hitting all of the tropes of, you know, what happens, you know, with the baby delivery, especially in sitcoms. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, yeah. And then like, like you have the, the big turn at the end. It's just, it's so funny to me that you're just, you're, just, you're like, I, I hate pregnancy and movies and TV. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say, guys. I can't really defend myself here. I don't, I, I thought you were going to say that like it was too wacky because it, it was kind of wacky with like the increased, uh, how the time is kind of, um, yeah, and it's like overall the episode just wasn't as funny to me either. And I think the um, I, I think the first two had that thing where like they would have you know we we're talking about this last week where like they work as uh, as actual episodes of of uh, like uh, self contained stories, right? And this episode I don't I feel like it didn't have that sort of um, that same narrative structure where like it uh, would have worked well on its own. I feel like it's it's so tied. And, you know, as the show sort of like leans into the marvelness of it all, maybe the uh, the attachment to the old sitcom format is going to be, um, you know, severed, but um, or increasingly severed. But, yeah, I just feel like it was a little bit um, more scattered than the previous two episodes. Man, I'd maybe argue so. that this is maybe by design in a weird way, because I think the Brady Bunch sucks. I think 70s sitcoms in general, outside maybe Mary Tyler Moore, generally stink, especially the popular ones. Um, <laughs> and they couldn't really do an episode based on All in the Family, <laughs> which was yeah, taking things in a very far direction. So they're stuck with the most familiar 70s sitcom to emulate, you know, Brady Bunch. And to me, like, I think that show sucks to high heaven, which is why I'm glad this episode has the most revealing stuff, the most mystery peeling back, the most marvelness, because... I think the show is also aware that Brady Bunch really sucks and tries to get get away from the hackneyed bad comedy as fast and often as it can. But maybe I'm giving you too much credit. First of all, Jacob, how, how, yeah, how dare you? I love Brady Bunch for all of its cheesy, <laughs> terrible like lessons and and you know family drama. It is a wholesome, hilarious, classic TV show. Unintentionally hilarious most of the time. But still, I will say the, the Brady Bunch movie is a lot better than the actual show, though. Oh, of course, yeah. The Brady, the Brady Bunch, both the Brady Bunch movies are because the movie awesome. is where the show sucked. You know what, Jacob? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I will not stand for this Brady Bunch slander. Send us an email, yay, yay, or nay on Brady Bunch. Oh, no, please don't. Okay, uh, <laughs> I, I do want to say that um, I, don't, I do agree that the sitcom part of this was not as good as the first two episodes, but I think where this appealed to me and the thing that i liked about this episode is we started the mystery started to unpeel more like we, we started to get glimpses of what's really going on here and that to me is very compelling and i'm i don't this i'm not sure if i said this last week but i feel like this third episode is the is the the last part of the first act and i feel like uh, you know what happens at the end of this episode is leading us into the second act of this story, almost like a movie. Um, and I, I feel like things are just getting started. That, 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 that's really exciting for me. But uh, uh, Brad, what did you think? Yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, you know, not only just because it, it emulates the Brady Bunch, which I, I do, you know, genuinely like. I grew up watching it because my mom uh, loved watching it growing up and always watched reruns and whatnot. Um, but yeah, the way the mystery uh, unfolds in this episode is it, it starts getting a little bit darker. Uh, you start seeing Wanda get rattled a little bit, and it seems like maybe she's losing some of the the control of uh, what she is, you know, creating around her to to um, 
you know keep this sitcom going and so the just the way the way it plays out is is fantastic I, the the way it turns at the end and just uh the details that we start to get especially when it comes to to geraldine um we're starting to figure out some certain things or at least get hints of what's happening here yeah jacob what did you think of this episode I think it's really good. I think this, despite the um, aesthetic being one I don't usually don't like, they stick to it extremely well, and I really like where this goes. I think the back stretch of it is incredibly fun and uh, really mysterious and creepy. And I like the sense of unease of the entire thing. It really does feel like even throughout all the comedy, through all the the tacky Brady Bunch, you know, uh, hokum, it there's always a sense of unease, like something is wrong here, and this is poking through increasingly in each episode and it's really strong here and we'll talk about the you know final stretch when we get to it because i have some thoughts about where it goes but i really enjoyed this and really enjoyed the commitment to the aesthetic but also how they're starting to really peel things back okay we're over 20 minutes into this let's start to break this down uh this is again directed by matt who directed every episode of the season and it we didn't talk about last week last week we talked about the director but we didn't talk about the showrunner. The showrunner is named Jack Schaefer, and that's J-A-C. Uh, she is a female, not male. So uh, I guess Jack might be short for Jacqueline. I don't know if that's like her full name or not. Uh, but uh, she ha- she made her big debut with this uh, this film in 2009 called Timer. Did anybody hear see Timer? Sounds no. like no. Uh, I did not see it either. Um, it's a sci-fi romantic comedy. It stars Emma Caulfield and, um, it played at some festivals, it played at Tribeca. I wonder if uh, HT saw it. She probably did. Um, and, uh, it got a small theatrical run and it, the concept of timer was that, uh, everybody has this wrist implant that is, or not everybody, but this wrist implant is available to get, that counts down to the day when the user will meet his or her soulmate, which sounds like a really compelling concept. She also had the script on the blacklist called the shower, which she's now developing with Anne Hathaway. And that project, um, it's kind of like, this is the end or brides. Uh, this is the end meets bridesmaids. It's what it's kind of being pitched as it's a, a story that begins with a bright baby shower. Uh, the guests find themselves under darker skies. A meteor shower happens these meteors, however, turn mid men into blood hungry aliens, and the women must fight to not only save themselves, but also the world. Um, and she also uh, wrote Hustle, which starred Anne Hathaway, and she wrote uh, she, she went to Disney and uh, did the Olaf's Frozen Adventure short for Disney Animation, and of course she co-wrote Captain Marvel for Marvel, and she was the original writer for Black Widow before she was replaced by. Uh, Ned Benson, who was replaced by Eric Pearson, not related to our own Ben. Um, but OK, so anyways, I just want to say that she has a long history uh, with Disney or not long history, but it, she has a history with Disney in the MCU uh, and she is the showrunner of the show. And we should uh, mention that because we mentioned the director last week. Uh, but let's get into the breakdown. Um, let's talk about uh, let's talk about this opening title sequence. It really feels to me like Brady Bunch, like there's all these like um, split screens. The split screens are done in those hexagons. Um, you know, we're setting up the 70s era sitcom with 
it's interesting because I feel like the first two were about them moving to the small town and trying to like, you know, uh, find their way in this small town. But this opening seems more about them with they've been there for a bit and they're preparing for the upcoming birth of their child. So that seems like what the opening is. And uh, the theme song is, again, written by uh, the Frozen duo, Kristen and Robert Lopez, and uh, it's titled Something's Cooking. Um, and uh, also they use that that um, that 70s trope of like the title goes into like uh, multiple uh, multiple layers of the title. It's kind of like what Mary Tyler Moore show did. Uh, what did you guys think of the opening? Any anything interesting there? I didn't really spot anything uh, like Easter egg wise or or super notable other than just like, oh, yeah, another one of these like, you know, period appropriate kind of openings. But anybody else spot anything? Seems like no. Brad, surely, uh, you, surely you have something Easter egg related here for us. <laughs> no, it's it seems a, like nobody does. No, it's just the 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 g- generic uh, like vibe of the yeah. you know, of Brady Bunch to fight that. I, the, and the, the hexagons thing is really the only thing that is probably like the, the Easter egg thing. We we did see that department store uh, that was it. Jacob brought it. Someone brought it up last week. It wasn't me. That was in. The, oh yeah, it was me. Uh, Wentworths. Wentworths. Yeah, they they're coming out of that department store. So maybe I'm assuming they're eventually going to have a scene in the department store because it keeps on being part of the show. And uh, the only other thing I noticed is Vision is now full on friends with the guys from that uh, meeting that he went to last week. And uh, yeah, so, OK, um, uh, the set for this episode is very Brady Bunch inspired, has that sunken living room, a wa- uh, you know, a rock wall, uh, colored second story windows. There's uh, this wood uh, floated stairs um oh uh i did want to talk about the costumes too um wanda is wearing outfits that have like a heavy red hue to them while vision has a tie that is green and yellow so that that's an interesting little bit there and uh one thing we didn't mention last week because we didn't see it last week but in the scenes where they were doing magic uh in the town square wanda's outfit was like this really uh, red outfit, a nod to our Scarlet Witch red outfit from the comics. We didn't mention it because we didn't see it in red. We saw it in black and white. But they Marvel since released this uh, featurette where you could see uh, some behind the scenes of that. And you could actually see that while we did not see it, she had like a Scarlet Witch kind of outfit during those scenes. So kind of cool that even though like, you know, we weren't going to see such a thing, it was filmed that way. Um, okay. Uh, let's get into the actual episode. Uh, the doctor thinks Wanda is four months pregnant, uh, but this is apparently the day after she la- the last episode where she got pregnant. So we, we introduced this accelerated time uh, thing that's going on. Uh, Vision doesn't want the doctor to, to, he wants to keep quiet about this coming baby. Uh, okay. The neighbor Her- Herb, Herb. Yeah, the neighbor Herb is played by David Payton, uh, is trimming the hedges and somehow ends up cutting not only through the hedges, but through the concrete divider and doesn't realize it. He almost like I'm trying to think of the best way to say what it like. It almost seems like a glitch in the system, like he's like a like an NPC character from a video game that like has gone off the rails or something. Does anybody have any theories on what is going on here? I think you're onto it right there, Peter. 
the fact that it initially looks like, haha, wacky sitcom neighbor being goofy, but he seems so utterly unfazed by what he's doing in a way that is really unsettling. And the fact that even when this episode has these unsettling moments, especially with the neighbors, the laugh track keeps on going over it. It's what really, <laughs> like, give me real, like, chills and the bad kind of chills throughout these moments. Yeah. I think it's just, like, representative of, uh, you know, th- this world that we think that Wanda is creating for herself or she finds herself in is just, uh, you know, there's an assault on it. There's an affront, you know, people are, people are trying to crack the facade and and break in. And I think it's just a sort of representative of that. Yeah. I was going to say, is Herb literally trying to break down the walls of this fake reality? (laughs) Um, Okay. So Wanda is magically transforming their guest bedroom into the baby baby's nursery room and uh, when the baby kicks, she accidentally turns the butterflies on the baby's crib. Um, what do you call that thing that like hangs down? A mobile. Mobile. Uh, she turns them into real butterflies. So is this just a thing where like she said she was feeling kind of like this feeling inside her that felt like butterflies and she turned them into butterflies? Or is there a more deeper meaning? Or could it, could it represent Wanda's transformation into a mother? Uh, is there something here is what I'm asking you guys. What I got from this, uh, and maybe this is me reading too much into it once again, is that if Wanda is controlling this uh, and is responsible for the entire world here, there is also a subconscious control. We've seen her actively engage in it by rewinding time, by glitching things out to uh, create a situation she would prefer or to erase in a moment. Uh, but it's clear that there's a subconscious energy that's like bursting out of her, changing changing her world in ways that she's not planning, which sounds like a recipe for absolute disaster for everybody yeah. in this world. Yeah, I yeah, think, yeah, as much as she's controlling everything, and I also think that what ties into with the neighbor too is that it's something where she can't fully pay attention to everything that's going on around her and she focuses in one area, which means maybe details or things are lax in another area that she wasn't anticipating having to flesh out so much like uh, like we talked about that before with the the company that vision works for where there's not really an explanation for what they do um and so like this i think ties into that a little bit and i, I as we see with this episode goes on i think this particular instance may be tied to the fact that because she's pregnant and she it's happening so fast that she's kind of losing control a little bit of her powers because her body is going through you know the such a quick change because of the impending children I did see some chatter online from the comic book geeks of uh, a character named Layla Miller. Do you know this character, Jacob? No. AKA Butterfly. This one is completely over my head. Uh, It's a mutant who discovers she is immune to alternate realities. She has the the capacity to snap other people out of their blissful states of acceptance, filling their brains with their memories of outside of, of life outside and the fantasy world created by Wanda. So I guess it's a character that's in House of M, I guess. You know, um, Peter, my, my, my new copy of House of M arrived in the mail just a few days ago. I have not read it in years and years. I'm, I will, If I'm on this, before I'm on this podcast again, if I'm on this podcast again, I will have re- reread it so I can give you an answer okay. to this. Uh, Peter, there's uh, something about that that I noticed. Uh, last week when we were talking about the calendar and the date and all of that stuff, I was sort of like perusing the uh, image in that calendar above the, you know, all the, the dates. And there's this girl sitting on a couch. And I think there are three butterflies on the wall above her. 
And, you know, I was just like scanning, you know, every inch of every frame of the show, like looking for anything. And I sort of clocked that in my head and then didn't mention it on the podcast because I didn't think it was relevant to anything. But now that this butterfly thing has emerged, I feel like there's like a <laughs> motif going on. So uh, maybe that's something to, to go back and check out if you're, uh, you know, doing a deep dive into all the Easter eggy kind of things and maybe something for us to keep an eye out for moving forward. Yeah, I'm not sure if this, you know, relates to this character of Butterfly or if it's just a, you know, um, symbolism of transformation or whatever. But I do know that in this Brady Bunch set that there is like either a painting or a photo of like this. It looks feels like a grass field and there's some butterflies flying over it. So I don't know. I do think there's something here with butterflies. I don't know what it is, but it's something piece yeah. of art in, in their house. Peter, did you notice the other piece of art that I saw on Twitter? No, um, well, what is it? There appears to be like some piece of art, like painted into the wall or frame. I, ca- I couldn't quite make it out on the, on the screen caps. I did not see it while watching, but it appears to be Strucker's castle hideout, like built uh, like uh, on on the wall of their house. Uh, maybe Brad has a better idea of where it is in the house. I think you see it. Um, it you see it best. Like I don't think there's a good shot where we actually see the full painting, but uh, you see it as it starts to fade out when the house starts to change from black and white into color and we see everything around it change. There's a quick um, shot where you see it partially and it fades away and someone matched up an image of Strucker's castle and it, it looks like it's pretty much the exact same building. Yeah, that's for the folks you don't remember, that's the building where uh, Age of Ultron opens that the Avengers are attacking to where um, Wanda and Pietro are uh, have received their powers. Yeah, I'll try to find a tweet with those images and put them in the show notes so if you want to check them out yourself and not have to like you know go through the entire episode and and pause um okay uh let's move on past the butterflies uh to uh wanda and vision are debating over the name to call their new baby wanda wants tommy while vision wants billy in the comics the the couple had twins right were they tommy and billy okay peter uh at your request i i put all my information together about this um do you want the <laughs> the full detailed version now or the short version now and we save the possible spoilers for later uh the short version now and possible spoilers for later short version uh uh yes in the comics vision and wanda have two children and their names are billy and tommy oh so uh is there anything we need to know about them now or we're, we're gonna talk about that later I want to save this for our end because talking about okay. what happens to those two is probably a major spoiler for the back half of one oh. Interesting. Okay. Um, in the next scene, Vision is trimming, or no, he's not trimming. He's um he's putting like a diaper on a baby. He's like trying to uh, time how fast he can put uh, change a diaper on a baby doll. And this is notable because the baby doll is the kitty carryall from the Brady Bunch, which is yeah, referenced yeah, in this. It's not, it's not a uh, ex- pushing glasses up. It's not the exact doll from the Brady <laughs> Bunch, but it's clearly meant to be like an imitation of kitty carryall. Yeah. It, it, it seems like they've gotten a lot of inspiration in this episode from Brady Bunch, Yeah, uh, which we will discuss later. Um, Wanda is cutting up the pineapple that uh, Agnes brought over to her in episode one. So here's um, here's something that I, I noticed. I, I'm I'm pretty sure it's it's intentional anyway. Um, so early, in the beginning of the episode, the doctor um, talks about the the baby's progression by making the the fruit comparison, and yeah. 
the last two that he mentions are uh, a papaya and then a pineapple. And in the preceding scene, uh, Wanda has a bowl of papaya that she's eating. And here oh. she's cutting up a pineapple. And like, that goes hand in hand with how quickly the baby is growing because she's just about to have the children. There's a whole fruit uh, thing that I want to talk about. Peter, should I talk about it now or, or later? Yeah, talk about it now. Okay, so when Wanda turns and knocks over the fruit with her belly and vision, like runs over and catches uh, a piece, there's an orange that falls out. And ever since The Godfather, the imagery of uh, uh, falling or spilled oranges has been like a harbinger of death on screen. Like tons of things have done it since uh, Godfather Breaking Bad and Point Break and The Sopranos and like a billion things. Um, so that's that's sort of a big deal. And then like when she is... Uh, constructing the crib and the the mobile in her room she's eating a bowl of oranges and then later when she uses the bowl to hide her baby bump uh, Geraldine grabs an apple out of that uh, bowl instead of an orange so just something to uh, to keep your eyes out for in terms of uh, symbolism and all that yeah, that's become such a big thing that even like TV shows and movies are like play like to play around with it. Like I know this last season of Better Call Saul, I'll, I'll keep uh, as vague as possible. But there is a character who was uh, suspected that they were going to die, and they were they had an orange, and it was set up to like for to play with. Oh, does that mean that they're going to get killed? Kind of thing. Um, so yeah, a, a good call. I didn't even think about that. Um, okay, so. Wanda begins having false contractions, which send the electronics in the house out of control, shorts up the power in the entire block. Um, I think my favorite line of this episode is Phil. Um, his wife is Agnes, right? Uh, Agnes asking him if her new earrings make her look fat and the power goes out and Phil's like, is like, thank God. <laughs> um but I do want to point out that that scene is not just a joke. There's some stuff going on in that scene that like I wanted to talk about um, in the background. Well, first of all, Phil is reading this newspaper and on the newspaper, it's the, the front page headline is talking about two new fire hydrants, which are being installed on main street. Seems like kind of a coincidence, right? Yeah, I noticed that too, because you can't really make out the full word hydrant, and it, it actually just looks like the word hydra on the page. So I thought that oh, was... Oh, I a... didn't even think about that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and behind him is this lamp that is a decorative lamp that has like two... Uh, what are those? Like the baby angel kind of... Cherubs. Shirt? Cherubs? Cherubs. Uh, yeah, cherubs. Uh, so there's this theory going around that this whole town that exists um, in the show this whole time, the last three episodes have wanted uh, Wanda and vision to have children. So there's been like subliminal stuff, like, you know, in the last episode, like the, for the children uh, to try to get uh, Wanda to have children. Um, There's even like little details, which could be nothing like Agnes loans, Wanda a rabbit for the the magic talent show and uh, rabbits often symbolize fertility or procreation <laughs> what do you guys think do, do you think the town wants them to have children or like, is, is there something here I think someone wants Wanda to have children uh, mm-hmm. if one has created this reality and maybe aim or maybe something else more sinister is intervening in somehow like maybe there's more than one 
party at play within this fake reality. I think that someone is pulling those strings for sure. Um, I think I think that holds water, and I'll leave it at that. Okay, so this is where I think things get interesting in this episode. Wanda comments on how the people of the town are always on the verge of finding out their secret. She's basically like giving, you know, giving the 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 premise of the show of like the sitcom out loud, uh, which I think is kind of funny. And then at this moment, Vision kind of comes to this realization that the series of events that have happened thus far have been very weird. And he exclaims, uh, something's wrong here. Uh, and Wanda looks very worried at this moment. And then, uh, we don't like rewind. We like, like the last episode, but we bleep back to a moment earlier. But in this version of events, vision doesn't have this epiphany. So I wanted to ask you guys, what, what do you think is going on here? Because clear, like last episode, I thought when Wanda revi- rewound time that she chose to rewind time and then not go outside to see the beekeeper, right? Like that she changed the series of events by making a choice. But this time it, it, it clearly seems to me like she's, she's changing it. So vision doesn't have the epiphany. Like she's able to control him. Yeah, for sure. I was I was a little confused by this at first because when I I saw this episode when we got the screeners ahead of time because they gave us the first three episodes and I thought that maybe it was just an unfinished effect that they didn't use the re- have the rewind effect in place yet or something like that. But it's exactly the same way in the the final cut. And so I was a little confused because the jump didn't have that rewind effect. But yeah, it's clearly her changing it so that Vision isn't becoming more aware of like things, the weird things happening in, you know, in this, this neighborhood. So she's not just controlling this whole, like all the neighbors, she's able to control vision or, I mean, we, we, we could talk about is vision even there. We, we talked about that last week, but like, I don't know. That seems like a big tell to me that she's able to have that much control. Because it almost like until then felt like a performance for her and Vision. But now it just feels like she's just controlling everything. Am am I wrong, Jacob? Or I think you're absolutely correct, Peter. And this is why I spoke about this at the end of last episode as well. I think that this is not a story of Wanda being heroic. I think this is a story of Wanda grieving and hurting a lot of people, uh, including a figment of her imagination uh, revived as as her dead lover. Yeah. Okay, so Wanda's now having the real contractions, and just as she thinks it passes, the sprinklers go off, and she uh, thinks her water is broke. And just then, we cut to the commercial. So let's talk about the commercial for episode three. This is a parody of a nineteen set, like a real commercial from the nineteen seventies, a Calgon bath powder commercial, which I'll link in the show notes. But it's like a, it's almost shot for shot, like a recreation of this commercial. Uh, the we see a wife. Uh, wife slash mother at home where everything's always going wrong. Uh, it's presented with 70 split screens. A voice asks her if she needs a break. She says, yes, she appears in a bubble bath on a very fake balcony overlooking a backdrop. Uh, she's being fanned by a man in a toga. And uh, the voiceover says, come to a world where all your problems float away when you want to get away, but you don't want to go anywhere. And then the ad 
And it's revealed that the ad is for Hydra Soap, a luxury bath powder. Um, I love the packaging. It has like this light blue and uh, like color to it and has Hydra logos pattern in the background. I didn't actually notice the first time I was watching this. Um, actually, so, it's it's, uh, it's Hydra Soak with a K at the end. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is Hydra Soak. Um, what, uh, what, what do you make of this, Brad? Well, this seems like it, it continues to lean into, uh, the idea of this tying into Wanda's origins because she obviously has ties with Hydra because that's where Strucker is from. That's how she got her powers. But this also seems to imply that maybe there's some kind of effort, whether it's from Hydra or from somebody else familiar with Wanda's history to try to keep her in this world that she's created. And there's this interesting theory that ties into all of the commercials now, because as we talked about before, the same two people uh, appeared in the first two commercials and they also appear in these commercials or in this yeah. new com- commercial. Wait, J- Jacob, you wanted to talk about this theory, right? Uh, no, I want Brad to talk about this because uh, Brad's one who I think okay. Brad's, been, Brad's been on the commercial beat for us. So I want to hand it to him. <laughs> so yeah. the, uh, the, the theory that some people have been talking about is that uh, the reason we're seeing these same two people and they're in these commercials uh, that kind of continue to keep Wanda, you know, essentially glued to the quote unquote television is that they might be Wanda's parents. And this could be a subliminal way of keeping her attention and making sure that she maintains some semblance of control over this sitcom world she's created because uh, you know, advertisements you know, they have a long history of being something that is meant to, grab your attention, keep you watching the TV um, and even, even subliminal messaging in advertising as well. And so I think that uh, as these commercials continue, we'll start to see more details unfurl that, that show us that this is part of uh, whatever other force there is that se- seemingly seems to be manipulating this world that Wanda has created. Cause we've seen that she's in control, at least of some as- aspect of it, but there's clearly some outside force. I think even other than sword, because Sword clearly doesn't know what's going on either, um, as we have evidence by hearing uh, Randall Park's character uh, ask through the, the radio, who's doing this to you, Wanda? So they, they're not entirely sure what's going on either. And so I think that there's something more sinister at play here that Wanda is out of control of. Do you think Hydra is involved in this in any way? Because they keep on like tapping on the Hydra thing. And I think obviously Hydra has a responsibility of who she became of her origin stories, but I feel like they keep on tapping on Hydra. I think it's mostly because she has a history with Hydra and that's where, where she comes from. Um, And it it would be even interesting to find out that maybe her, her parents were, you know, part of Hydra or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, you know, the, the end game here, but it's, it's all clearly, you know, tied to, to her origins. Oh, if her parents were working for Hydra, and uh, a Stark bomb like killed them, then maybe uh, may- maybe Howard Stark wasn't a, a bad person after all. Or was it Howard? Was it Tony? I guess oh, it was man. during I, Tony's. I hope you're incorrect, Peter, because I think the, the, the harsh <laughs> truth of, of, of Wanda and Pietro uh, being ordinary people forcing their arms to be equal by heroes is so good. <laughs> I love that. It's like a, a wrinkly thing. Uh, I, it's a really interesting connection, but God, I hope you're wrong. Yeah. Um, I do want to bring up something because I think last week Brad brought up some kind of connection to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And Jacob, you scoffed it off as like, that is not connected. This is not part of the MCU. Um, A lot of people on Twitter are bringing up um, that 
in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in like season four, Agent Coulson, uh, Clark Gregg's character who appeared in like, you know, Avengers and those, you know, the early movies, uh, he mentions that Hydra had this mind control soap. It was a blue soap that they loaded up with chemicals to control agents. So is it connected? I don't know. If, gonna if, write they're it making, off? if they're making Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 4 <laughs> fully canon, then I want to uh, find Kevin Feige, grabs the pelt, and shake him a lot, Peter. That's my current mood on that. Yeah. Okay, um, let's go back to the episode proper. Uh, Vision runs off to find a doctor. Wander is visited by Geraldine, uh, who has to hide, and she has to hide to the fact that she's pregnant around her. Which is actually kind of funny because that's like a sitcom trope, but it's also something that happens a lot in like sitcoms where like the actress gets pregnant and they have to like hide the actress behind stuff. So you don't like, you know, they don't have to have the pregnancy on the actual show. Um, uh, There's some good escalating comedic moments here. I think Uh, Geraldine finally realizes that Wanda's pregnant and that uh, Vision's able to get to the doctor right before he heads off to his vacation. Uh, Wanda is having contractions and the house is going crazy. Somehow all the craziness, Geraldine helps Wanda give birth to a healthy baby boy. Vision meets his son with, without his human disguise and calls him Tommy. So the, the boy's going to be named Tommy, but that's now, um, but it's now all like they learn that there's another baby and it's going to be twins after all. So it is Tommy. And what was the other name we had? Tommy and Billy. Sorry, Billy. I, I, I was I muted myself to avoid construction ruining your podcast, Peter. <laughs> no, no, I no, rushed no to unmute. He can keep yeah. his part in for the listeners. I will. Um, made. Yeah, I'm too lazy to edit this out, Jacob. So uh, it's going to remain in the podcast. Um, okay, so as Vision says goodbye to the Doctor, um, I noticed something I didn't notice in the previous episodes, but I think it was in the previous episodes as well. So on this street in Westview that they live, which I know the house changes from episode to episode, but it seems the house is always located at number 2800. Yes, that's correct. And 2800 seems like a comic book reference to me. Yeah, so from what I uh, have gathered, and at least it seems, is that 2800 might be a reference to the uh, dimension or universe in which the Marvel Cinematic Universe takes place. Uh, for those who are Marvel Comics fans, you'll know that uh, most of the events of Marvel Comics take place on Earth 616. And there are a bunch of different variations of Earth parallel dimensions. And this ties into the idea of the multiverse. And it would seem that the Marvel Cinematic Universe takes place on Earth 2800. Uh, and that's I think that's why the, the address has remained the same on on the house throughout the, uh, the episode so yeah. far, despite the house changing. And... And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, but I think in Sp- the last Spider-Man movie, when the villain was explaining things that we actually saw like 616 and 2800, like we saw like references to those different dimensions in his like explanation. Yeah, there was some wrong. kind of, re- there was some kind of reference from Mysterio about that, but the, but we also unfortunately can't trust Mysterio since it turned yeah. out what he, what he was saying was a lie. So, okay. Um, so this, we, we, we don't think it means anything. It's just kind of reference, I guess. Um, Vision tells the doctor to enjoy his vacation and the doc admits that he probably won't get away after all because quote small towns you know so hard to escape 
<laughs> so here's, I think, our, like, I guess our second hint this episode that the characters in the episode kind of are, st- like, self-aware of the construct of what's going on here. Um, so Vision then sees his neighbors, uh, Urban Agnes, and they're, they're talking to each other. And uh, the gossip about Geraldine, who is apparently new to town, uh, she has no family, no husband, no home, um, which is actually kind of weird because a few sentences earlier, she talked about how like her pipes in her house burst, but whatever. Um, We'll we'll get past that. Uh, uh, Quote, she came here because we're all... And Agnes stops him before he can finish his sentence. So let's play Mad Lab. Uh, is it Mad Labs? Mad Libs. Yeah. Mad, Mad Libs. <laughs> let's play Mad Libs here. What? What is? What is he trying to say? She came here because we're all what, being ben? held hostage, prisoners. Is what I was going to say. So uh, could be dead. Yeah, I was thinking. I was wondering if dead could be it. I don't. I don't think it's dead. I, the, uh, I think for um, and we talked about this from the first episode. Is uh, we're getting hints that these are people that are being controlled, and and like um, you know, you just said like maybe there's some of them coming out uh, because as Wanda has trouble controlling everything. It kind of reminds me of the like the scene in Get Out where the the family maid um, starts to break because the person that you know is actually was actually inside the mind is trying to like speak out and say something, but can't fully because she's under, you know, mind control. Um, and so I think that we, uh, when we see um, Deborah Jo Rupp's character that the ch- during the choking scene, she's saying, you know, like, stop it, stop it. And she's grimacing and she's trying to like get them to intervene to stop what's happening. Cause she knows that maybe this person who is her real husband will die if they don't change what's happening in this reality that Wanda has created. And so I think that this, it's the same with these people. They, they know kind of what's going on and that what's happening isn't real, but they can't always fully, you know, recognize it or, or say something about it. Are they playing along more when Wanda is in the scene? Because it seems like, like more often when they break out of the, you mentioned a time when she was actually there, but more often they break out of it. It seems like when she's not around, they can kind of be more self-aware and show their, like, what do you guys think? So it's, it's interesting because um, there's a part before vision walks over to Herb and Agnes where you, they're whispering. And if you turn, if you turn the volume up, you can hear what they're saying. And uh, oh. Ag- Agnes is questioning. She was, she, he was like, "Did you see her go in there?" It's like her, be- like her belly was like was huge. He's like, "What do you like? I don't, do you know like what's going on with her or something like that?" And then, and then she says, "Is Geraldine in there?" Mm. Okay, so we finally in the scene get to see Agnes's brooch close up, and it looks to us like a similar thing to what um, Agatha Harkness. Whereas in the comics, uh, Jacob, last week you were naysaying this this theory that Agnes might be Agatha. W- w- do you have any thoughts this week? Uh, yeah, I was skeptical last week. I'm no longer skeptical. I'm pretty sure <laughs> Agnes is uh, is Agatha Harkness or this the MCU's version of that character. Uh, this brooch, from what I can tell, appears to be a silhouette of three women. And that's a very common imagery for witches it, it, all the way back to Macbeth you know trio of witches predicting the future controlling events and 
also she's literally riding a bike in this scene that's the exact same bike the wicked witch of the west <laughs> had in wizard of oz but brad there's also a thor connection to this or a thor fan theory about this brooch did you see that one yeah so i um i i know it's also tied to actual mythology this idea of these uh three witches um and they're they haven't actually been mentioned by name uh in the marvel cinematic universe but there was a deleted scene from uh, Age of Ultron when Thor saw the vision of the uh, Infinity Stones and learned what he uh, needed to do in order to bring vision about to stop what was happening with Ultron because he he saw the future uh, and it's this this trio of, of witches essentially who speak speak to him and provide him with with this vision and so the idea of you know Agnes actually being a witch makes perfect sense and one of the interesting ideas essentially is that maybe Agnes, isn't a villain, but maybe somebody who helped Wanda set this whole, you know, environment up for her and like, is like guiding her to use her abilities in this way. Can I offer my um, galaxy brain idea? Of course. Uh, Scarlet, sorry, Wanda brought vision dead to an actual witch saying, please help me bring him back. And she did. She gave Wanda the power or the guidance how to do this. Wanda, not being experienced, being irrational, grieving, does it right then and there, and, and trapping uh, Agnes's entire town in with them is what I think is my is my guess. Interesting. I'm not sure how I I feel about the whole concept of witches being introduced into the MCU, but sorcerers supreme. We have wizards. Are you? Yeah. You, you, you turn a wizard into a witch, and suddenly you're against it, Peter. I, I think I see what's going on here. <laughs> yeah we're not talking about like halloween witches we're talking about like mysticism and sorcery which is yeah yeah i guess I her guess. name okay. her name is scarlet witch peter we're gonna yes. post we're gonna post dr strange mcu i'm i'm all about bringing in the magics okay so inside the house wanda confides in geraldine that she was also a twin and sings her um her new son's uh a lullaby from her childhood um, it's interesting here that when she says the name of her brother, she says it in her old accent, which we haven't heard in many movies, right? Like we, we had heard that in Age of Ultron, but have we heard it since then, Brad? It was like you know? slowly going away in Civil War, if I remember right. Yeah, and she kind of addressed this because uh, people have asked about this and it's it's been a criticism um, from some people of the performance thinking that they just tossed the accent out the window, but it's it was thick in Age of Ultron, but as she's hung out with you know the American Avengers more and has spent time with them, just like any person who has an accent, you start to lose it and it starts to fade uh, as time goes on. But the reason it's gone completely for the most part in WandaVision, as Elizabeth Olsen also explained, is that she's portraying these classic American TV characters, and so the accent is nowhere to be seen. But here we hear it because she breaks, starts to break out of that. And talk about Pietro and even sings uh, that lullaby um, from Sokovia. Yeah. Okay. So then there's the line uh, from Geraldine. He was killed by Ultron, wasn't he? And uh, first of all, Elizabeth Olsen is like amazing. She get, like she tears up, but like only one tear goes down her. I don't know. She's just so great. Uh, she doesn't seem shocked. She seems more confused, which I I'm not sure if I'm reading that correctly. And, I read it as anger. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, she seemed pissed. Yeah, then she tilts her head, and there's some anger there. But I didn't see like sh- like a moment of shock that I expected to, to see in that moment. I don't know. Um, I, I guess okay. I, I 
uh, Wanda asks her to repeat herself, and she pretends like she never said it and acts confused. Uh, Wanda also noticed that Geraldine is wearing this necklace, which has the same symbol that was on that helicopter that she found, that was on the bee suit. It is the sword symbol. And uh, Wanda asks her about it and who she is. And uh, the next scene, Vision comes in and uh, she informs Vision that Geraldine has left, had to rush home. Can we dwell on that scene real quick? Yes. Uh, because of all this sitcom fabrication, of all this prestige, of all this mystery, the first direct audible acknowledgement of the events of the MCU happens here. You know, uh, Ultron killing uh, Pietro, Quicksilver, um, whatever we're calling him these days. Uh, it's such a intentionally jarring moment for somebody to acknowledge the world beyond this one. And it really is as chilling as anything we've seen in this show so far for me. It, it, it really shakes up the entire scene. And we see that reaction from Wanda as she is just suddenly enraged. And we see what she does um, uh, to Geraldine uh, in quotation marks uh, soon enough. Uh, but the fact that she asks us, the fact that she's aware of it, the fact that she has the nerve to ask in this moment really makes me think that you know, it, we, we know at this point she's a sword agent, we, and, the, and the ending confirms this. But yeah, it the idea that a sword agent is here, essentially trying to diagnose the problem. Um, she speaks, she asks that question in a way in a way a therapist would, a psychologist would. Uh, Wanda's not well, and I think Sword knows it. I think that she was trying to talk her down out of this, and it fails spectacularly for her. Uh, but I think it gives us a real clue to the motivations of Sword, which is to disarm the situation first and foremost. Yeah, I think that's... Is Geraldine just really bad at her job? Because I feel like the better way to approach that is like, what happened to your brother? <laughs> not, not like, he was killed by Ultron, right? <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel I feel like she felt like it was an opportunity that, that she was coming out of this, you know, trance, yeah. what, whatever it is, and maybe was would be able to like have a conversation with Wanda as a person and not as a, a sitcom character. Um, and it, I, I, it's cool because like this actually kind of ties into the, the, the whole idea that sword doesn't know what's going on here because, uh, there was actually a line in the second episode when, uh, we meet Geraldine where she actually specifically says, she says, I actually don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, and so I think that they're just as confused as anybody as to what's going on. And so her job is clearly to infiltrate and figure out what is happening. Okay. I- any more to say about that scene? Cause that scene is great. But uh, we, we're I going love, along in this episode. I, I love. I just wanted to say how I, I love Elizabeth Olsen's uh, beat in this scene, where when Vision asks where Geraldine is, in like the creepiest way possible, almost as if she like it was. It's a horror movie, and she just killed her. It's like, oh, she had to leave, and mm-hmm. it's just you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think she said that she had she left and had to rush home or something. Yeah, um, and then we see what that means. The aspect ratio expands from the four by three. To the 16 by 9 widescreen, which uh, I'm not sure if we mentioned it, but uh, in that first episode where we had the um, the ending with someone at a control center, that was actually in 16 by 9 as well. So I think when we're seeing 16 by 9, that's going to be outside of this television reality and like the, the normal MCU. Um, and we see the welcome to Westview sign. So Westview is apparently a real place. Yeah, this is a, this is a big thing. I mean, a lot of people wonder if this was a secret facility or all in someone's head. But I think the confirmation here that Westview is 100% real, surrounded by this strange bubble and surrounded by, like, spotlights and people watching it is a massive, massive puzzle piece here. Yeah. yeah. And there's, like, this force field kind of bubble. It has, like, almost this pixelation of a, like a, like tube a TV, TV set. Yeah. 
and uh, Geraldine comes flying through it, lands on the grass. Uh, apparently, you know, we, we assume Wanda threw her out, right? And uh, Geraldine lands in the grass field. She's surrounded by what looks like almost like an army with ground vehicles, a helicopter from above. Uh, we see that there's big military-style tents set up around this area. Uh, and there's some some lights pointing to this, like, this invisible force field, I guess. And it's worth noting that when Geraldine lands, she's surrounded by like this red energy for a couple moments after she's ejected. I'm not sure what that means. I think it's just Scarlet Witch. That's like the how they visualize Scarlet Witch's powers. Yeah. Whenever whenever she's done stuff like that, like move things, there's been an, a red energy surrounding them. Yeah. I do want to say one other thing before we, we, we talk about what this means. Uh, a song is playing. Daydream Believer by the Monkees. And uh, this is obviously uh, Davy Jones uh, was a part of the Brady Bunch, uh, Marsha Brady. Uh, it was his her favorite pop star. Uh, there's an episode uh, in 1971 called Getting Davy Jones. Um, but is there any other meaning? Because the song is about a guy who marries the homecoming queen but has a hard time making a good living to support her and is trying to convince her to stay with him just a bit, little bit longer so they can provide a perfect life for her. So is there, what do you guys think? Do you think there's something more of a reading to the song other than it being kind of like quintessential seventies and the Brady Bunch connection, or is it saying something more permission to force a metaphor? Sure. Um, uh, the, the the monkeys were created for television. They were essentially, what if we manufacture our own beetles for a TV show and act like they were a big deal and then reap rewards? And the monkeys became a good band after the fact, but they were they were forced into it. They they were they they were manufactured uh, as the idea of a Beatles esque band when they were as fake as any TV show. And I'm wondering if that's a commentary on the world that Wand has created here. Hmm. Okay, let's get into speculation. What what is going on here at the end of this episode? I mean, it seems pretty clear that there's some kind of bubble that Wanda's controlling the contents of the bubble. There might be people trapped in there, or maybe those people are creations of her. I think they're self-aware, so I think they're actual people, right? My thought, and I, I'm curious what Brad and Jacob especially think about this, is I think uh, Wanda has... Um, knows that she's grieving uh, after the death of Vision. And in between the events of Endgame and the start of this series, she has gone to Nick Fury and said, hey, I need some help like working through these issues. And he says, you know, I know some people who can help you with that, basically. And like they set up this facility or or this facility already existed and they put her in it as a way for her to sort of work through her issues in like a controlled environment. Maybe she's like in a sensory deprivation chamber or something like that. Right. And, um, and maybe she got stuck in, in there because her powers are more powerful than anybody thought they underestimated her. And then they sent in Geraldine as like, you know, a total recall esque way to try to like pull somebody out of, uh, of this illusion that they've created for themselves. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Jacob, what what are your thoughts? Uh, at this point, I don't want to say anybody's incorrect, so, uh, but I, I, my impression is that it's it's more sinister than that. I really think that um, 
Wanda would not have gone to Nick Fury. I think she would have gone to somebody with something a bit more with more cosmic, dangerous powers. Maybe, maybe Agnes at this point. Since I'm, I, I, I think that, I, I think that whatever this is has caught Shield slash Sword slash the Outside World completely by surprise. Yeah, and I, I think that Nick Fury probably would have tried to talk her out of it and wouldn't have tried to help her if she would have gone to him for with with something like this, knowing what she's probably capable of. Um, and I just I, I think it's because it's clear that it's it's a neighborhood that is has been taken over by her because of the force field that's around it. And what, one thing that's um, interesting about this, and I don't know if it's just because maybe they decided to cut part of this out, or if um, Monica will make another attempt to infiltrate the neighborhood, but. Uh, in the trailers, there's um, a, sh- a shot that you can see of Monica being thrown out of the neighborhood in daytime. And but obviously, when we see her come out of the neighborhood in this episode, it's night in um, there. So I don't. Um, it's it seems like maybe there is a differentiation in time within the neighborhood too, because it was daytime when that happened, and then when she flew out, it was nighttime still. So I, I don't know if that scene got of her being thrown out of the neighborhood during the day got cut or if she'll go back in later and will get thrown out again. But uh, th- there's an interesting discrepancy there between day and night. Do um, What do we feel about Geraldine? I know last week we told you guys that this is actually Monica Rambeau. Uh, it's the person who uh, becomes the next Captain Marvel, right? Um, and... She's working for Sword, so I, I guess we're all on the same page that she's going in there trying to defuse the situation in some way or learn about the situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, does <laughs> how much is Wanda in control of what's going on in there? I think that's a. I think that's the question at this yeah, point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and. Uh, it's clear that she has a certain amount of godlike control, but how much of this control is coupled with the awareness of the harm she's doing? Like, I wouldn't be surprised if she has total control of this world, but is being influenced by something else at this point. I, I don't know. And this, this is a question I'm very intrigued about. Uh, knowing that we've seen a sword agent in in, in, uh, in Monica Rambeau, and that we know that there are characters like um, Jimmy Woo and Darcy, who've been confirmed to be in the show, characters who are like investigators and scientists and, and agents. So the fact that they're here means we can get a lot more of getting to the bottom of this mystery. And I'm really hoping that going forward, the show keeps on peeling back with probably via those characters to learn what's going on, because I think that's the, that's the million dollar question, Peter. Yeah. It's worth noting as press that we are not getting any early access to any screeners uh, after this episode. So we're going to be watching this at midnight uh, with the rest of you guys, or maybe in the morning. Um, but we do know that, uh, Jimmy's characters in the next episode. And um oh, Jacob, you wanted uh you put you put a delay on talking about Wanda Envision's children. Yep. Uh so this is a point where I could there are possible spoilers for WandaVision going Okay. So like like actual possible plot spoilers, like endgame spoilers for this. But, show. You're, but you're going based off the comic book run that's been out there. Yeah, based on yeah. decades old comics. But if if okay. you don't want speculation and you want just and if you want the speculation it's fine but know that uh, there's a chance this is section that they really are truly building on um yeah that's your warning um all right so in the comics uh yes uh wanda and vision have two kids they have billy and tommy but vision's an android he's a robot he can't have children so it's revealed that 
uh, Wanda used magic to conjure her kids. And more importantly, uh, she used pieces of the soul of Mephisto, the, the literal Satan, in the Marvel universe to conjure them into existence. And eventually that bill comes due and Tommy and Billy are taken back into the universe or they're ripped away from her and reabsorbed into Satan himself. And so much of Wanda's character for decades is a grieving mother who lost her kids. I'm not saying Mephisto is in this show, but I do think that we're going to see Wanda's kids get torn violently from her because they're, because they're created by her powers, not by natural processes. They are figments of some kind of energy uh, that Wanda has conjured. But I, I will also say that decades later, uh, the souls of her children, of, of, um, of Billy and Tommy, are reincarnated in the new bodies and become members of the Young, Avenger, of the, of the young Avengers named uh, Wiccan and Speed who have powers of super speed and magic, like their, like their mother and their dead uncle, Quicksilver. So considering that Marvel is kind of setting up Young Avengers with Miss um, Marvel and with America Chavez being Doctor Strange 2 and Kate Bishop being in Hawkeye, I do wonder if we're going to see the death and rebirth of the Maximoff children uh, in this series. So we have to assume the next episode is set in the 1980s, right? Yeah. Um. I'm wondering, what do you think about the timeline of these children? Are they still going to be babies in the next episode? Oh, I imagine they're going to be toddlers at the very least, because uh, it's, it's the show's strange timeline is that uh, certain things remain consistent, like the pineapple being cut, you know, despite being 20 years later in terms of aesthetics. Uh, but only days pass while certain things jump forward. So I, I think we're going to see some grown-up Wanda, uh, Wanda Division children. So you think by the end of the series, we'll we'll see them in like their, I don't want to say full maturity, but we'll see them as adults. Maybe not adults, but definitely teenagers, especially if especially if they're, if they're lining up a Young Avengers <laughs> uh, movie or show, which I genuinely think they are. I would not be surprised if we get them a little bit older to start setting that up. Uh, we did get an email from Matthew M. from New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, he's the community manager of a, of a website that both uh, Jacob and I like called Board Game Geek. And he's a listener of Slash Film Daily. He wrote in, my hope for the end is that they do a reverse House of M. So instead of killing all the uh, mutants, Wanda creates them and explains their sudden emergence in the MCU. Imagine the line read at the end of no, period, more mutants. Jacob, what do you think of that? Like, could this series be the creation of mutants in the MCU? I think it's a really interesting idea because, as you know, too, the, the famous ending of House of M is that Wanda uses her powers to erase almost all the mutants from reality. And it's, like I said, that's why it's literally taken 20 years for a character to start trusting Wanda again in the pages of Marvel Comics. Um, I'm not so sure if Marvel would want um, the creation of mutants to be the result of a grieving sorceress instead of a instead of being what it is in the comics, which, which is why it makes it powerful, a naturally occurring thing, which, which is why mutants being persecuted uh, is a powerful because they have no control over this. Um, I think it's really interesting. I think it's a, a really strong theory. It'll be a really fun twist in House of M. Uh, but for me, like, I would prefer mutants to be a, a, a naturally occurring thing because it, it, it lends to the metaphor of why those characters work more powerfully. Hmm. Brad, do you have any speculation about the future of the series? Uh, nothing beyond what we've already talked about here. You know, there's still a lot left to play out. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, uh, figuring out who else is involved with creating, you know, this, uh, this sitcom world besides Wanda herself. 
um, and and what's happening there. Uh, I do think it would be interesting if there was some kind of tie to you know expanding the world and bringing X Men here, even if it's just something that's recognizing that maybe there are already uh, mutants out there, and that maybe um, Wanda and Pietro w- uh, were among them, and they were found by Hydra. Um, rather than give it actually being given powers by you know one of the Infinity Stones um, that Strucker had because of the of Loki's scepter, um, but yeah you know I'm I'm not necessarily sure there's there's a lot of interesting theories at play here. Um, one thing I, I will mention and I don't not sure how reliable this is necessarily and I was putting this in uh, superhero bits today, but apparently um, one of the actors who did uh, the um, I believe Spanish dubbing voiceover for um, Evan Peters version of Quicksilver in the X-Men movies apparently said something on Twitter about uh, doing voiceover for Quicksilver again in WandaVision. But after this, the the tweet was deleted and his account was set to private. So (laughs) take that, take that as what you will. Um, Confirmation that Pietro was back (laughs) in some kind of dream fantasy version of himself. But what, but what, but what's weird though is that it's it's the Evan Peters version and not the Aaron Taylor Johnson version, which would imply maybe some kind of multiverse situation happening with, involving the X Men somehow. See, I'm not I sure don't. if it's a multiverse. I think it could be a flashback, because I think if you're going to introduce the theory that uh, that you talked about, Brad, where these people in this commercials are her parents. I think that we're going to have to pay off on that on seeing them actually be your parents. And I, I think also this whole construct of the show being her living her American dream, which she probably pictures as being the sitcoms that she probably was watching as a child. I'm guessing we're going to have to see that scene where she's like kind of locked in her room with her brother or something watching these sitcoms. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's something there to be a flashback. Yeah, and like, uh, um, if anything, I think that maybe the the idea that we'll see the Evan Peters version of Quicksilver instead of Aaron Taylor Johnson is maybe um, just just a theory because I wouldn't be surprised if they brought in a guy who has played Quicksilver before just to play a younger version of Aaron Taylor Johnson's Quicksilver, um, just because they know he can do the work and he's played the character in some form before. Um, rather than actually us seeing Evan Peters from X-Men in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know what? Uh, what Ben was saying earlier about how he thought that Wanda might be in some kind of facility set up by um, by uh, uh, Nick, Fury. Nick Fury. I, I, don't know, I feel like after seeing the first two episodes, I was under that assumption and even like the location like this Westview it almost to me like the name Westview sounds more like a psychiatric facility than it does a town but maybe that's my reading into it but I think after this episode I think I'm convinced now that it's a town that is being taken over by her the thing about the the Nick Fury thing real quick is just, you know, we are talking last week about like whether or not this is the real vision that's in here. And um, the idea of Wanda going to either like being imprisoned by Nick Fury because she is too powerful and, and is grieving in a way that's dangerous to herself and others, or if he's trying to help her through this process or whatever. Um, you know, if you watch the, uh, 
the legends, the Marvel legends thing about vision. It talks about how uh, it recaps the, the moments from, uh, I think it's Bruce Banner who's talking about like, oh, Vision, you're made up of, you know, all these different components. You know, you're you're more than just the Mind Stone. There's all these other parts of you. There's Ultron, there's, you know, there's Tony, there's parts of Jarvis in there as well. Um, and the idea of that character, uh, you know, and, and we saw, um, what what is her name from uh, Shuri from Black Panther, like trying to, you know, essentially like computerize some of Vision after his death from the Mind Stone. So like Nick Fury would have access to that. So if this is the quote unquote real Vision that we're dealing with, that would be a way, you know, if he was able to put Scarlet Witch into a scenario where she can interact with the remains of the real Vision, I feel like Nick Fury would be a character who would who would have the, uh, the, the means to do that, like the access to to be able to do something like that. Um, and like we were talking about last week, I, I just feel like it would be, the whole thing would be much more emotionally, uh, gut punchy if it, if it actually was the same vision that, um, that she, you know, had this relationship with instead of just a projection of, of him or something like that. Um, so, you know, just some more, more food for thought there. Also, um, one other possibility, uh, in addition to whether it's her being in a facility or her taking over a neighborhood that already existed is, is also maybe that this was, um, like the kind of neighborhood that they would set up for like nuclear tests or something like that. And they've just filled it with like mm. people try like that, that Wanda can use in her in the manipulation or whoever is potentially helping or manipulating Wanda herself with people who are acting, you know, like they're supposed to in this, in this world to go along with it. I know we're getting toward the end here, Peter, but I want to drop one more galaxy brain theory on you because I was watching this uh, episode with my wife and she was saying, what if this is a sort of Wizard of Oz scenario uh, in that in that sort of therapy uh, in a scenario that I put forth a second ago where like if Scarlet Witch wakes up from this and she sees, you know, uh, what if Agnes and Herb, these these neighbor characters are actually like avatars for or representations of somehow Maria Hill and Samuel L. Jackson, like or, or Maria Hill and, and Nick Fury. <laughs> like what if those uh, those, you know, Agatha Harkness and, and all of that witch stuff, what if that is just, a, you know, completely contained within this fictional world? And then those two characters are actually just, you know, other representations of these people that we've already known from the MCU. So I don't know. I, I have no idea if that's actually going to play out or not, but I thought it was a cool theory. On one hand, I think that is brilliant. I don't think it's possible, but I love the idea that there's actors. Well, I guess they're already actors anyways. They're acting in her, her, what she, her dream life. Um, you know, they're, they're, they don't seem to be like, but it's like a Wizard of Oz thing. Like she wakes yeah. up and she's like, you were there and you were there and you were there. And it's like, you know, just like kind of tweaked versions of those characters. And uh, I don't know. Okay. I think we've gone too long on this. Uh, does anybody have anything left to say about this episode? Uh, yeah, there's one more thing. The uh, the paint in the uh, baby's room uh, yeah. said Simser paint on it. We didn't talk about that. And um, I looked that up and uh, there's a guy named Jeremy Simser who is in the art department of the show. He is working as a storyboard artist and he's also working uh, as a storyboard artist on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which we know is connected to the events of the show. So uh, if anybody is wondering about the Simser paint, uh, it's a reference to a storyboard guy. I actually looked that up, but I was like, maybe that's too big of a deep dive to mention. But <laughs> yeah, I'm sure many people were wondering who, what that was a reference to. So, okay. Uh, 
Ben, actually, I do want to ask you one final question. I know you kind of got pulled into this whole podcast. Uh, I don't think you were originally intending to watch WandaVision on on the first day that it it came out. Um, Is this a show that you're going to keep on watching? I'm intrigued. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to like wake up early and and watch it or like stay up late or watch it, but I'll, I will watch the whole thing. I mean, I mean, we're already we're already what three out of nine uh, yeah. in already. So yeah, I'll I'll definitely finish those final six. I'm just not sure exactly when I'll get to it. <laughs> okay, you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send in your theories, your speculation. I can't promise you we're going to read it on there, but uh, maybe we will. Or you're just your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. That's Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on there. And please, if, if you are enjoying this podcast, take like, you know, 30 seconds out of your time. Because like a lot of work goes into these spoiler discussion episodes, head on over to iTunes, iTunes, Apple iTunes, and write us like a sentence or two. Give us five stars. Write us a sentence or two. It takes you know literally thirty seconds of your time, and it helps more people find this podcast, and it helps uh, helps us greatly. So, uh, well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll we'll talk to you next time on Monday. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER and partnership with MGM Northfield Park.